Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Come join our Discord. The Mixing Music Discord server is filled with tons of awesome information and people. People that can help you out and information that can help you grow your business and to help you improve your mixes. So come join us and find the invitation link at mixingmusicpodcast.com. Test, test. Testing one, two. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Loopback Lou. If you haven't heard of Loopback, definitely. Uh, what is the one that we use for, uh, for whenever we're live streaming audio? I create my own uh, aggregate device on yeah. on Mac, but anyway, there are loopback systems. But we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, yeah, specifically for like splitting audio or like doing yeah. live streams and things of that nature. Yeah. But today we're gonna talk about something that's really interesting, and it'll be really quick. But um, something that I'm realizing more and more as. I get older and work with more companies and with more labels and managers and just more clients in general. Um, I'm realizing that before, when I was younger, I would u- I used to think that it was all just negative nepotism. Just it's it's you know who you know that things are kind of already predetermined. Um, it's just hard to kind of get into those circles. Um, and I want to talk about this because although that is fairly true, it's not malicious at any sense of the word. And that's something that I'm starting to realize now. It's all done there in order to promote and to encourage just practicality. Yeah. At the end of the day, an A&R is committed to timelines and to deadlines, making sure that songs get out in a certain number of songs get out. By a specific amount of time, sometimes most of the time contractually based, um, oftentimes just according to the marketing schedule, whatever they have going on, right? Uh, and they need people that will finish the job. And quite frankly, being an engineer that talks back and is really prideful and, and it's just difficult to work with because they think that they're always right. Someone that is unable to, that is inconsistent at delivering files by a specific deadline, um, these things tend to affect uh, people wanting to reach out to other people. So like every time you, you want to hire a new engineer, you're taking a risk that any of these factors will just slow down the entire machine. Yeah. And so one of the episode that we want to make about today is specifically about the importance, the importance of recognizing and utilizing and using to your advantage, understanding how almost all businesses, almost... Uh, all people at the top, the people in charge, the people that would hire you, after a certain degree. So at the bottom, at the at the bottom, typically less so. It's more, it's significantly more of a creative function. For example, local artists they don't care about timelines as much. Yeah. But uh, the more professionals that you work with, the more that they're going to be a little bit more gatekeepy, 
because they don't want anybody new coming in and messing up their workflow that they already have. Uh, so we have a couple thoughts about how you can create um, better workflow for yourself, um, how you can get into these different networks, um, as well as <laughs> maybe we even talked about how you can immediately get fired from these different things. Which is so easy. It's so easy to get fired. But Lou, I mean, both of us being uh, professionals, having done this for a while, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. Um, I don't, rem- I don't, I feel like I complain a significantly a lot less now than I did when I was younger. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a lot of it just has to do with uh, pride versus the amount of work you actually have in coming to that realization. Um. Early on, a lot of times we're kind of told like, hey, if you have certain gear, you know, you're matching the quality of these bigger guys, this and that. Because of that, there's also this like false sense of pride that kind of comes along with it where a lot of people just assume, well, hey, you know, I have the stuff. People are going to hire me for certain price points. They're going to hire me for certain quality of works. But in reality, most of the time it's like, hey, uh, just like the artist and the producer in the studio making very practical and decisive decisions just to get things off their plate and move on to the next, um, they're looking at you for the same thing. They're not looking at you because you have a 1073 and all that. They might be interested because they're like, well, if you can afford this, there's got to be either a track record of work behind it that makes it possible for you to purchase these or you're just another trust fund or somebody who just invested that much into it and still doesn't really know what they're doing. So a lot of times they're looking for people who can match their energy as far as what they need to get done by the end of the day. Yeah, there's also, I mean, like that's more like in the recording, like whether or not you have a 1073, that's a recording thing. Well, even in mixing, let's say that they're passing off the work to you and you're next, you know, and they're just like, oh, well, this guy seems like he knows what he's doing just because he has somewhat of a budget. But if you start uh, saying like, yeah, I can have it to you Friday, but you turn it in Friday and it's your V1. You've already turned in your V1 with the deadline already at its end. Like you should have turned it in sooner if the goal was to have it finished by Friday. Yeah. And they would usually specify if that was the case. Yeah. Um, it, it, just in general, if they say Friday, you want it, you want to do it as quick as possible. And it's in your best interest too. And this is also part of the reason why with labels, you also charge a minimum of double of your regular price too. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for that, including like a net 30 to net 60 type, um, payout terms, which is typical for like big, uh, big companies, bigger companies. If they have like, if you send out an invoice, they have like net 30 terms, net 60 terms, net 45 terms. Um, anyway, we're, we could talk about that a little bit later. But uh, also, I'm thinking in that specific scenario, if you have a 1073, I wonder if it was because, okay, this guy. I, the first thing that I would think is the reason why a manager might care is because they've worked with on a 1073 with this artist in the past, and then they'd, they'd rather just keep working with the same exact vocal, uh, chain. vocal chain rather than yeah. risking it not sound, sounding different or sounding worse for just this one song. It's and just it's just find, not a risk worth willing to take. Yeah, what? and what you find nowadays is a lot of times when they have a team that they work with, they travel with the gear. Yeah. So there's a, it, it totally depends. Um, also in each scenario, like some A&Rs, they have like the same guy that they always go to for, for mixing or recording. Um, and then some, by the way, to, to clarify, A&R, 
Um, I don't really know what it stands for. Artist relations. relations. Yeah, artists and relations. They're basically the ones that, from what I understand, um, kind of point the artist in the direction of like who they should work with as far as like mixers go. Like they're the one that hire people and make sure that songs get to the deadline. Yeah. So they're in charge of making sure that uh, artists deliver files, uh, deliver everything uh, in a, in a timely manner. They push the artist. And as much as it is like a creative endeavor at the end of the day, like a and um, getting songs out, like the create, like the creation process, the creative process is very much, um, part of the artist and that's something that is like determined before you get signed like are you creative enough do we have hopes that you'll continue to be creative in the future and then at the end of the day like for big major label stuff like as much as there is creative stuff behind the scenes like when it gets to the label level like it's mostly just people being practical and trying to hit deadlines and trying to hit numbers um get get collaborations on time get these mixes back in time they don't even want to think about the fact that they have they have to finish mixes um they like they don't like yeah just like make it as easy as possible for them um and that's kind of what you need to do so at the end of the day i do think okay so to answer the question how do you get into those circles number one is a proximity thing like it's not easy to live in LA. It's not easy to live in wherever else, Nashville or New York. Um, I do think that depending on the style of music that you want to go into, uh, in general, this is a super generalization, and people are gonna say that I'm wrong. But if you want to do like any sort of pop music, whether that's like hip hop or um, rock or anything, anything of that nature. Uh, you want to go to LA. New York is really only good for like performance and jazz. Even within the jazz realms, it's still mostly performance. Um, there's a few other things out there, but that's mostly what it, that's what it is for me mostly that I understand. And then Nashville is country and Christian. Um, there's a huge rock scene out there. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's a big songwriting scene too, just in general, lots of songwriters out there. But, um, Anyway, if, if it's not easy living in any of these places. It's definitely not easy moving to any of these places. Um, mm-hmm. But that's like, that's not even, that's, that's like, I will say, um, if you want to get into, if you want to get into the big leagues, and here's the thing, if you want to make a living from music, um, you can do that in Utah, right? That's where I did it. It's very difficult and you have to continue, you have to do high quantity work with, um, with locals with lower budgets and you just have to work a lot. Luckily your overhead is slightly lower, right? Because it's cheaper to live out there. But if you want to at any point work with like some major labels, um, and work on some like big radio records and stuff and it to not be luck, you have to move to a big city. Um, part of it too is like, let's say someone wants to potentially hire you. They want to know that like you living in LA means that you've been able to figure out a way to do income. You've been doing well enough, um, and have been able to provide solutions enough that you've been able to survive in LA. People want to like, they want to meet you in person and see that you're not full of bullshit, you know, full of shit. And, uh, they want like like it's actually really just practical. So I would say the starting line is when you move to a big city. And I'm not saying that you need to move to a big city and stuff, but if you want to take this seriously, like uh, you can't take this seriously while living in Arkansas or Iowa yeah. or Mass. Like it's going to be significantly harder. You can take it seriously, but your 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 growth curve is going to be 
pretty messed up. Yeah. Like you're going to you're going to find potentially some major label artists no matter where you go. Actually, Utah's kind of funny cuz Post Malone just recorded his ISO, but that's like one artist. New York has a few as well, a bunch as well. Can you imagine the odds but, of like like calculating the odds of Post Malone actually going to your specific studio in yeah. Utah? Like the only way the odds are in your favor is if you're one of the major ones. Yeah, and that's what he went to was one of the major studios. There you go. Um so it's literally Anyway, so I think that's something that you need to consider. So is is first off moving. That was the biggest piece of advice for me moving as well with Leslie. I asked Leslie what's the biggest way to improve. He's like, sometimes it's not the mix. Sometimes it's where you live. Basically just in, insinuating that I should move yeah. to and LA you can, or something. You could be LA adjacent and still do things because uh, it's kind of funny. I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of people that are really doing well tend to live outside of LA just because they like the neighborhoods just a little bit different. They justify the drive sometimes, but most of them that are actually on the grind come up, they try to stay as close as possible because they want to be there in five minutes if they need to be. LA is very interesting in that sense. Like everybody loves commuting, but they hate commuting. Yeah. And it's really funny because I saw a reel the other day that um, this British person uh, and an American person were talking. They're like, oh, how far is that? It's like, oh, it's about like two hours away. They're like, oh, it's a pretty short drive. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Short drive. To like, an American, England is close to. Yes. Uh, because like Br- yeah, you could drive London three hours and still be in L- yeah. and not L.A., but in California. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could drive 10 hours and still be in Texas. Yeah, yeah. London is still close. If it's a two-hour drive away, that's close to London, according to an yeah. American. Like anyway. Next, uh, <laughs> yeah, next month, my drive will be 30 minutes uh, to 45 minutes each time. But even then, that's a short drive. You know, if, if, you're, if you're working and you're doing high enough uh, level work, then the pay makes the drive worth it. The longest commute I've ever had in my career was 10 minutes. <laughs> that's the longest one I've ever had you just always live by the studio yeah I refu- I hate commuting I think commuting is the biggest waste of life ever mm-hmm. um, anyway but that's just a personal thing of mine and uh, cause like even if you're in Japan and you can ride a train you mm-hmm. can at least read a book while you're on a train yeah like you have to just drive when you're in a car and like to, and not see your family. That's just stupid. Anyway, uh, I just hate it. I think it's dumb. Anyway, uh, let's get into. Um, so anyway, how do you get into these circles? Um, I think moving here, moving to one of the major cities. You know, uh, again, in America, that is Los Angeles, New York, Nashville, or even Atlanta for like rap, hip hop, trap. Um, those are the major cities. Uh, you got to move there. That's the first thing. Second thing, you have to be doing well on your own. Like you cannot expect to be picked up by a manager. Like we did an episode about this in the past. I talked to a few managers and it's like, don't expect to be picked up by a manager um, unless you're making a minimum of 80000 to $120,000 a year. Like it's just not worth it for a manager to pick you up. Um, and there's many different types of managers. We could talk about that later, but it's just not worth it for them to pick you up unless you're not already making some sort of money. Same thing with labels. Like labels aren't willing to sign artists. Unless um, they're already making money. Unless they're already making money. So it's it's like, or getting views or they're already going viral and things of that nature. So uh, by the way, why it's still worth it to get signed to a major label as an artist is, is uh, another episode that we can do. Um, but do not, do not... Um, 
do not think that being staying independent as you grow is easier. It's way, it's not as easy as you think it is um, as you grow and as you scale and you will be limiting yourself. Um, and on top of that, like, anyway, that's a whole nother episode. We won't get into it. But just, just, just know that if you are an artist, don't immediately throw label, getting signed to a label off, off the table. Like don't throw it off the table. Like you can still choose to not do it, but don't throw it off the table without considering it. And we'll give you reasons why to consider it in different episodes, a different episode. Um, another, another reason how to get into these circles typically is, yeah, we said moving there. We said just consistently being able to do a ton of work that does a couple things that does the social proof that you know what you're doing, um, that you, you know what you're doing from a skill level, you know what you're doing from a professional level. Like you can answer emails, you can cooperate and work with people. Um, and that again, a sign that you're making enough money shows that you've been uh, working uh, under pressure. Like for this is something that we talked about in the past. Like the reason why credits are such a practical thing that people talk about in the professional realm is because working with someone like I'm just going to say the the number one name. Like working with someone like Kanye is probably the most annoying and the most like the most of of a hassle anyone has ever. Like it would, you can imagine how much of a hassle it would be to work with Kanye. And if you have worked with Kanye, that just shows that how much shit that you're able to take, so how much shit you're able to eat. I, that, I recently got that, that exact opportunity style, like note where they're like, oh, they saw one of my clients and they're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're an asshole. You worked with them? Like, yeah. How long? Years. Um, yeah, you'll do fine. You'll be fine. I'm like, yeah. how bad is this other person? I don't want that credit. No. <laughs> what we're not saying is that you want to. You don't want to work with bad people, but we but are you saying you want to that- be able to handle stress and understand how to communicate and move through a difficult situation if one were to ever occur. Yeah, even the people that are easy to work with, like at the top, when you are working with a big team, it is going to be stressful. There could be a ton of personalities in the room, and you just need to know how to navigate. I've had those sessions where you got like seven A-list names all in one spot at the same time. Everybody wants something different, and you're the only engineer in the room. Yeah, and and it's also like social proof in the sense that like, okay, you can actually handle yourself in a conversation, and you don't like you can actually like maintain a vibe as well. Like this, yeah. these are all unspoken things that people understand with big credits um, and why it's important. Yeah. Especially like uh, most A&Rs know how to look up which A&R was involved in what, and they can actually just fact check, like not just your credit, but your level of involvement. If you were to just keep it on the level with people and just say, Oh, all I did was this. Um, I've known so-and-so for years. I've, I typically just do this type of work with them. And if they call asking for a reference, they're usually going to call the A&R because the A&R usually has to handle the invoices, make sure that everything's, you know, on, on time, but they're going to say like, Hey, well, it depends. Who depends. Brought this it depends. Most, most you... labels, the A&R doesn't deal with the invoicing system. They usually hand it off to the invoicing person. Yeah. But I'm saying that like, um, if you're supposedly a common face, even if they didn't hire you, can they say, Oh, actually they were there. Like for instance, uh, when we were working on the, the Ray J album, uh, there was the A&R that was on site who's, uh, job for the day was to just make sure they notated every producer in the room, every writer in the room, every engineer in the room. Cause there was so many people that they're like, okay, we need to keep track of what's going on. Yeah, that's true. They're basically just like the manager for, for that project or for that artist. Yeah. Just so, making sure that everything is in control. It's, it's like kind of like, it's a pretty chaotic job. Um, 
in the sense that yeah, out of everybody who is really chaotic and creative, you have, you to, have maintain to be the most some structured. Sort of, yeah, yeah, you have to maintain some sort of structure. Make sure that credits are in place. Which has been my experience. I've never really met. Um, well, I've met A and R's that were like new and a little bit chaotic, but I've never met like an overly successful A and R that wasn't really well structured. Yeah, you have to be yeah. at that level. That's another thing too. It's like if you're trying to be an engineer of any kind, um, like you cannot do well unless you're structured. Like it doesn't matter how chaotic you are, you have to be the type of person who who is able to be structured. Yeah, um, like I recently spoke with an artist um, who's been around for decades. Like they've they've uh, they just got honored with like one of those like in history inductions or whatever. But um, it was funny. He told me one thing. He's like. Uh, you know, I like letting people vibe and do their thing, be their personality. You know, if you're a slow worker, you're a slow worker. If you're a fast worker, you're a fast worker. Like, I like feeling everybody's vibes. But if you don't know what you're doing, I can't stand it. I will just walk out of the studio. I'm like, cool. You know, some people, they'll they'll go at your pace, but you just have to be effective. Yeah. So people will then wonder if what's what's going on. Like what it's a chicken and an egg scenario. Like you want big credits, but in order to get big credits, you need big credits, right? That's kind of what it feels like. But the fact uh, of the what matter is, it, is four years experience right out of high school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like uh you need a so in order to solve that, I want to be clear, like if you are working hard as an independent engineer, like not working with any of these major labels, you could still get a chance to get a few credits here and there. Um, a lot of the times through features, um, it's pretty common to do it that way. Yeah. Um, or like one of your artists doing better. Um, like the more that you, the better that you do, the slowly and slowly step at a time, you'll be trusted to work with higher level projects. Yeah. Um, so if you are working with a friend and they introduce you to a friend that's doing better than you, now you've potentially gained a client, right? So Slowly over time, I know it sounds like a chicken and an egg scenario, but it's not impossible to get that done. You just, again, have to be focused, have to be consistent, um, make sure that you're able to reply to emails and get things done in a timely ma manner and continue to bring structure to these relationships yeah. and these business opportunities. Okay. Um, one of the other things that we talked about at the beginning of the episodes is that we would talk about... Um, we said how we would get into it. We mm. can even talk about how you get fired from these things. Yep. And that's and this is the scariest thing with all of this is that um, it's usually it's usually really really um, fast and unspoken. Meaning that if you do get fired, most of the time you don't find out and you don't know why, and that's it. Like you, they tried you, it didn't work. Uh, moving on. And that's kind of the name of the game at the end of the day. It's all, it's typically not personal. None. Um, oh, that's another thing too. Holy cow. Is it not, not personal? personal yeah. It is not personal you, at you, all. You watch people who have worked together, had a falling out, and they'll still eat at the same table with each other with no malintent once you get to those higher levels. Because they all understand. They're like, okay, it didn't work out. You know, like you could arguably be a great mixing or mastering engineer and they could have given you a shot and they do like you. But maybe your mix was just so off the mark, like not in the sense of quality, but from what they're used to, like their process. Like, and it may not even have been the mix. With. It may have been just like, dude, you took too long to respond to the email. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, is communication the number one reason that? Most yeah, it get could fired? be just be like the artist doesn't like your face. 
<laughs> like it literally I, could be. Thankfully, I can say I'm not ugly enough to have hit that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, one day I kind of hope to. Like I, I want that to be the reason. Or you could say we're not we're not pretty enough to have hit that one. Yeah, right. Um, but um, yeah, honestly speaking, like I've seen people get fired over um, weird vocalizations in the middle of a recording session, but that usually deals with ego. When you're dealing with professionals, people who actually have a say in like who's involved in what projects, it usually comes down to efficiency. You know, like your mix could have been good, but it could have been oh, you know what? He changed too much of it. And sure, we could do revisions and get it back, but that's going to take longer. And the fact that it's going to take longer is the issue. It's not the fact that you change so much. It's that you change so much that it now seems like it's going to take longer than just going back to the last guy. Yeah, there's. A, it's really interesting that um, at the end of the day, th- I mean, there's like a, com- a few common things that people will always get people fired, but it can be whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you're a recording engineer, talking too much, trying to do the songwriting with the artist, like talking too much is probably the biggest one, reason why recording engineers kind of get fired. I told you my story on that one. Yeah, even our yeah. friend Jesse, he told a story where like when, when, when working with Kanye, he just said, thank you to Kanye for giving this him this opportunity. And Kanye said, you're just the engineer, you don't need to talk. <laughs> which is like really God brutal damn. it's really brutal but at the same time like yeah that's that's the mindset you should be having you're just the engineer you don't need to talk you're not part of the creative process yeah like you shouldn't be part of the creative process at a high level thing like if you're working yeah. with like local artists where they want you to be involved you're kind of like producing alongside recording like yeah that's like a that's not something you would say but if you are hired by someone nobody knows you personally and you're just working at the studio or you were hired by the label and you don't know anybody there you keep your mouth shut you just don't because, you don't eventually. want because again like the creative process is a very fragile thing and you want to let them stay in the yeah. zone that's just what it comes down to do you remember what i told everybody as i would train them at the studio if you kill the vibe, you're most likely fired. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, I mean, that's pretty common as far as mixing goes. I think communication and uh, just simple things, simple mistakes as well. Um, like uh, part of the reason why like having assistance is good is, is if you get hired to do an album in a week or in five days, you need to get 10 songs done. Right. Um, part of the assistant's job is to make sure that you actually got all the files. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're on the day, the day that it's due and you're still sending out emails saying that I got the stem, I didn't get the right stems. Like that's not on you, but at the same time, like they, they, you should have asked earlier, like as much as you can, like, and, and that won't necessarily look bad on you, but you never know. Like someone might take that negative. It's like, why are you just telling us now? Like the day that it's due. Yeah. It's like, it literally may not be on you, but the fact that it's uh, the something that they you're could have still with somebody figuring else. it out. Yeah, like if the other person that they usually work with does doesn't usually have an issue with that. Yeah. Then, uh, you, so anyway, so you basically want to be completely seamless and unnoticed. Like it's just you are a machine. They they Im- give input to, and then you output a, pr- a product. Like that's kind of what it has to be. And I know that that sounds. Um, lame to a certain degree because i know that people that are really creative um one if that sounds lame then this may not be for you because again that's the sort of structure that you need to maintain and you need to want to have in order to do well as an engineer i hate to tell you but even if you went into corporate america the expectation is still there yeah so it's like that's something that like because i do feel like in this sense 
the more structure that you have, the more you're able to eat shit and the more, the more consistent you're able to be. So that is really important. Um, so I would consider like, again, I would consider just focusing in on that and trying to become more consistent and more reliable and, and almost unnoticed. Um, again, much more, it's, it's a lot more fulfilling for me. It was a lot more fulfilling. It was a lot more fun working with independent artists and being creative with them. Um, but also like getting paid significantly more doesn't hurt. It's like, it's like way better. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the day, that's just what it comes down to having more recognition, um, and getting paid significantly more. Um, yeah, those are kind of the thoughts that I have. I don't really know what else to add. I think people kind of underestimate, um, simplicity. Yeah, like how how practical the industry really is. I, I would just say like this. Just remember, even though some of the top engineers uh, may have gear like in their photos and stuff like that, many of them that we know um, usually don't have much gear until like it's something that they can afford or there's a good reason to buy it. Outside of that, like the reason they're successful is their consistency and the relationships that they build. And that's what it always comes back to. You yeah. know, it, whoever the relationship is with, it matters less than your consistency and the only reason i say like that is some of the biggest rooms that i've gotten into have literally just been my friends that i was working on projects in our home in my living room or something and then when an opportunity came up i was top of mind because of our consistency with each other yeah so that's what it came down to there's something else that you said earlier that i want to um that I want to bring up as well is that it's not personal. I think that's really, really important. Nothing at this, at this level of the industry, nothing is personal. Like if they fire you, it's not personal. They live, you were just literally a hassle to work with. So that's it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you're going to stay a hassle. You hopefully you learn something from it. So it's actually better if you don't take it personal. And if you, if you take the lesson out of it and you move on and don't make that same mistake again, like it's, it's not personal and never will be. There's this, there is a slightly weird thing where people do have egos and also a bunch of creatives. They don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Yeah, Everybody's a lot more, agree- uh, significantly more agreeable. So it's like, since everybody's so agreeable, um, it's just difficult to like, people don't like talk shit to you and be like, you fucked up. Like, nobody's really going to say that. Yeah. It's just easier to hire somebody else. It's, it's the number one reason why I always tell people I'd rather somebody just be straight up with me. Yeah, yeah of, co- of course, right? But yeah. in this industry, that's not something that's going to come... Uh, is not going to happen as much. Like less In people fact, are going to be straight, being up, with straight up with you is a luxury. <laughs> yeah. The fact that people have to worry about having to tell you the truth is a reason enough to be fired. Yeah. Like, so if you take things personally and I have to be careful with how I say things to you and because you're bad at taking feedback, um, it's just way easier to not work with you. Mm-hmm. And, and this is part of the reason why I think um, the argument of why like an, an engineer union is not really possible. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point in time, we'll see how that changes. But the reason why a union wouldn't work is because it's at the end of the day, like engineers are typically like really replaceable. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people, both, both young and older that are ready to be put into the game. Like they're on the bench, just ready to go in and they need a shot and they're willing to do it for cheaper and for faster. And they could probably do better than you. Um, and so, like, as soon as you become hard to work with or as soon as you start standing up for yourself – or now, standing up for yourself is different. But as soon as you become more difficult to work with, as soon as you start becoming a hassle to work with, 
um, they just pick up the next guy in line. Yeah, that's literally what it can come down to. So uh, as much as that kind of like sucks to a certain degree, that's just it's just people being practical. It's no hard feelings. It's not meant to be personal. So something that you need to be consider consider. So it's not even about having thick skin because thick skin infers infers that you are able to take personal rejection. Yeah. What what I'm saying is that you should be able to understand that. Like you should be able to interpret everything, let it like acknowledge everything that comes through you and let it pass. So it's like, if you say, if someone's mean to you, you don't want thick skin by being like, okay, I'm allowed, I have a higher threshold of people being mean to me, but you have to realize, like, I think it's better to be like, okay, this person's being mean because this has been really difficult and yeah. they're coming in from, so it's like, it's more of a, a place of empathy. I think that would go a lot further as well. Um, anyway, um, that's kind of uh that's kind of our, our my thoughts on all this stuff. I do think um yeah, I just I just like talking about this like I I've, I've always just thought that oh, last thing. Uh this is one of my favorites uh is Hanlon's razor. Hanlon's razor is a saying um and it goes that um do not mm, do not attribute to malice, which can be easily attributed to stupidity or ignorance. Yeah. Um, and basically what's that saying is people most of the time aren't being mean to you. Like don't attribute to malice, which can be easily attributed to ignorance. Like sometimes, like here's the thing. When someone cuts you off on the highway, they may not probably aren't being mean to you. Like you yeah. took that personal because you're a bitch. What really may have happened is that you, like, you have no idea. You made up a false narrative in your mind that, and sometimes it can get bad, like because that person is Asian or because that person is a woman or they're old. Like you start to become racist, sexist, or just bigoted in general. Yeah. I but you make up a narrative. It. Yeah. I forget who said it where it's uh, most people suffer more in their imagination than they do in reality. So, yeah, but that's, that's a, yeah, that's 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 a different thing, though. Um, I mean, it, you're just imagining the personal attack when getting cut off on the freeway. Is that Seneca? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. No. Uh, anyway, um, I don't think it was actually. Anyway, there's a uh, Marcus Aurelius. I think that's who that was. But anyway, um, so the idea that the truth is is that they cut you off. The fact, the truth is not that they were being malicious or mean. The yeah. truth is they may have not been paying attention. What if you find out that the the wife is pregnant and they're like rushing to get to the hospital? Yeah. And so the, the, that's why they're speeding and cutting people off. Like would all of a sudden you, you be as mad or take it as personally? Yeah. Like you create this false narrative. The only truth is that they cut you off. Um, so what that also means is people aren't being mean to you. They're not being malicious. Most of the time they're just in their own world yeah. and they, they're just being, they're just stupid. Like, uh, if they say something that hurts your feelings, they may probably weren't trying to hurt your feelings. They're probably staying up late at night for the next few days, regretting that they ever said that to you. If they noticed it all, because yeah. they may have been too stupid to notice or too ignorant to even notice. Yeah. And so it's like, um, that's something to really remember as well. The, like the, the one X factor with all of this is that we work in an extremely creative industry with a lot of trauma and a lot of broken, uh, broken people that refuse to go to therapy or even oh with the therapy. Oh my God, Dewey. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. um, just to recognize that like 
the understand the importance of Hanlon's razor here. Like, do not take things personally. Most people are just stupid. They're not trying to be mean. They're not trying to be malicious. Don't take things personally. Um, people are in their own world. Anyway, so let them let them uh, let them do that. So on that note, I think that's a good place to end yeah. on this episode. Uh, Lou, is there anything else that you want to add about any of this stuff? Honestly, I did most of the talking on this episode, so I apologize. No, it's all good. Uh, honestly, it just comes down to keeping it simple. Whether it's your work or even your workflow, um, people aren't looking to overcomplicate the process or to. You ever hear about people not wanting to go through too many advancement advancements too soon because it might interrupt just the current flow of their work. You could be offering the world to every A and R you meet. You could be the most excited and most eager person in the room to work with them. But in reality, that may not be what they're looking for. You just honestly have to be ready for the right opportunity. And that just means constant preparation. That means setting up your systems, making sure your communication is on point so that when an opportunity does arise, you are ready for that opportunity. They're out here giving opportunities away every day. There's always going to be somebody that they tried out that didn't work out. There's going to be somebody who's been doing so well because they got their system so on point that, you know what, they got a little too expensive for this current project. We need to find somebody else and give another opportunity to somebody else. Sometimes these opportunities don't work, pop up because somebody fell through. It's because some people just succeeded that far that they now need to find another person to fill in those shoes. But you need to set up your systems. You need to get prepared. You need to actually work on yourself so that when the opportunity comes about, you know what? You can be recognized as somebody who's actually beneficial to their system. That's all it comes down to. All right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Get your systems down. Get them all smoothed out. Yeah, the, the most successful people that I know always have their systems figured out. Yeah. And even if that means like working with like an assistant, like the system that they have with their assistant um, and making sure that projects go out on time, mm. get things done on time. It's very, very important. All right. Well, on that note, I think the last thing that I want to mention, this is a small thing, kind of unrelated, but something that I, th I was thinking about this week, maybe a tip for the week as well, is um, lying takes many forms. And one of the forms that lying um, people don't talk about is boasting is a form of lying. <laughs> for example, yeah. Making yourself seem like a bigger deal than you actually are is a form of lying. And I am convinced that that is the fastest way to eventually feel some form of imposter syndrome. Do not boast yourself up. Do not lie. And uh, I am convinced that the, the more honest you are, the more immune you will stay to imposter syndrome. So if you are feeling some sort of imposter syndrome, think about that. Usually boasting comes from a place of insecurity and feeling inferior. Figure that shit out. Um, and because uh, at the end of the day, anybody that's doing well doesn't have to tell people that they're doing well. And that can lead to eventually um, can lead to uh, hindering you. That imposter syndrome hinders you more than it helps you. So do not lie. Do not boast. Um, and, and that's just a thought that I had as well as like the, the, um, just something I tweeted a couple weeks ago was, was, yeah, I'm convinced that if I stay as honest as possible in all my dealings, I will stay immune to imposter syndrome. Cause that's one of the things that I've never felt is I've never really felt any form of like imposter syndrome. And I've, I've wondered why, like, why not? Um, I feel like maybe like. And I think it's just because I'm just, I try to be as incredibly honest as all, as all, always in my dealings. 
So something to think about, something that was on my mind this last week. Anyway, on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. <laughs>